0: I'm Nick Miles, he's John Hall, this is Build It. And welcome back to Build It. This week we are joined by um, Adam Fairwell. Hi, Adam. Hey, how you doing, fellas? All good, all good. Thank you very much for joining <laughs> us. And it's great to have another British voice on the pod. And joining me as ever, John Hall. Hi, John.
1: Hello, Nick. Hello, Adam. Hey, John.
0: Perky as ever. So, yeah, um, Adam joins us all the way from Phoenix, Arizona as an, another expat. He has an interesting story, I think, uh, in regards to what he's doing to grow the game across um, well, across America, but certainly in his little backyard. Um, so, Adam, first off, if you could just tell us a little bit about your history, how you came up to, ended up in the US, and your soccer history as well. That'd be great.
2: Yeah, definitely. So I I grew up in Manchester, was well, Stockport to be really specific. But to most Americans, it's Manchester because it's all kind of uh, blurred into one. I think when you tell people you're from England, they think London, and then you say Stockport, they think, well, I don't know where that is. So, so uh, in all ends, <laughs> I grew I grew up in Stockport in Manchester. Are you a Stockport County fan? Yeah, Stockport County. Yep, that's, yeah. that would be my team. Yeah, I yeah. went home and away watching them growing up, and I. Uh, <sighs> now now they're having a little bit of a renaissance but they were if they were in a bad way for quite a long time they they had lots of administrative problems but it's a yeah. tale for another day but yeah
0: you you and i could both wax lyrical about the downfalls of pro right
2: correct yes. <laughs>
0: all right carry on my friend sorry
2: yeah, no, no, all good. So, uh, yeah, I played played football as most English guys do. You know, growing up, it was uh, it was the only thing I was doing. I was playing a lot of ball. I played at a relatively good level up until I was about, I'd say, about fifteen, sixteen. I got a couple of nasty injuries, and you know, that that old story. And um, that that's when football took a bit of a backseat for me, as far as like playing seriously. When I was like at that point, I was just quite happy just to be playing and and like. Whether it was like Sunday League and just like kind of hacking it up with my mates, I was happy to do that. So um, I was going through the university process in Manchester. But I, was, I was just honestly, I was just going wow, through the motions. It was never anything I was super serious about. I was always into sports and I was always entrepreneurial. So that was always kind of in the back of my mind. It just felt like, you know, at that age, you, you kind of have to sort of do it because it's what some of your mates are doing. And it, it just was never really the thing for me. So I went through the motions there for a little bit. And um, my parents had moved out to the States. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the the ticket for me to say, well, this is a good chance for, for me to go and try something new and, and come over and and see what it was all about. So I came over a couple of times without moving permanently. And then I decided that... I mean, it was a bit of a loose end in Manchester, and not really much going on. Everyone was either causing trouble or not doing really anything productive anymore. So it was time to move on, and came over here. And yeah, again, I played played some football here at a, a relatively decent level. Nothing, uh, nothing special, but I was always, you know, able to at least play a, a decent ish level so I played uh, again went through the motions of doing the college stuff here while my visa and all that kind of stuff got sorted out and that was a uh, just you know one of the things again where you're young and you don't really know what you want to do yet so at that point I realized I did want to be involved in football if I wasn't going to play football so this was an opportunity for me to like kind of find my own niche within that world so we had set up originally there was no small-sided football in Phoenix at the time it was all uh, in, there was a couple of indoor soccer places, but nothing you know, too too great. It was all kind of uh, thrown together a, a, little, uh, a little loosely. It was, and it was not really well run. Most of those places are closed down now. There was a decent eleven-a-side league at the time, but again, it was it was a time when I think soccer was still sort of growing and, and getting its feet in Arizona. At the time, it wasn't specifically a soccer town i would say like like you know seattle or chicago or maybe los angeles it was kind of, soccer was always kind of down the uh down the ladder here but it's definitely changed that's changed recently anyway so anyway we started we started popping up uh small-sided games and it was you know 10 lads 20 lads 30 lads and it just compounded and compounded and more and more people just came and joined in and it just got to the point where it was unmanageable we're talking probably on a weekly basis, a Wednesday night, 100, maybe 200 on the high end every week coming out. And it was, it, as you can imagine, it was chaos. So we we did what we needed to do just to organize things a little bit and shuffle people around and okay, these these guys are showing up with their group, we'll show up with our group. And and then it was refs, and then it was more formal of actually getting pitches together. And uh, at the heart of all of it has always been a community-driven group that everyone sort of was more interested in. It was more important, the stuff off the pitch. I know when I moved over, it was important for me to meet some expat guys that had been over here and you know they, they take you for a pint and you know if if anyone was short of work or you, you were looking for a career opportunity, there was always a really great network and that built itself out it's like most good good things, it built itself out organically. So it, it really just stemmed from everyone having this love for football and it being a community driven sort of a glorified pickup session, if you will. And then all of a sudden it was like, all right, well there's, there's a a business opportunity here that we can make sure that all of this stuff's running properly. It's well organized because people want to pay for that. They want to pay for it. We organize it. It doesn't have to be ridiculously priced. And then it just compounded. It went to two nights, three nights, four nights across the city. And now, as of today, small goal soccer is operating in uh, ten different states. Um, on pre-COVID, annually we have uh, about 120,000 people playing throughout the year across the country and all of those ethos and and philosophy is still very much at the heart of what we do it's you know football is it's for everyone we want to keep it affordable for everyone no one should be priced out but it also gives a professional and organized element to the amateur game so it is still growing even during covid obviously we've had to shut down quite a bit but that's like always been the most important thing to me is that we grow these programs because we're doing a good job and then people turn up right if you're doing a good job and they're willing to pay for a service so it's always been organic it's always been you know kind of let's enjoy this and make sure it's fun for everyone and it's it's just grown like the last decade of doing this it's just grown leaps and bounds so
0: yeah i mean over how many did you say in across the country 120,000 or something like that was that the number you said? Yeah, pre pre COVID.
2: Yeah, yeah, pre COVID. We we yeah, pre COVID annually we 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 check in about one hundred twenty thousand members between one hundred fifteen and one hundred twenty at the end of not twenty nineteen and Jeez. even this year. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a lot of people and it's it's great. <laughs> it's 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 definitely a, a different beast now than when we began. It's it's a, a full organization now with with lots of full-time employees, which I'm really proud of our team. We've got a great set of people and they are all football first thinking people. And that's, I think that's why it's grown the way it has is Mm -hmm. that everyone can tell that we're doing it for the right reasons. You know, this isn't something we just want to pop up and take people's money. It's like the community stuff and the stuff off the pitch is way more important than the stuff that's happening on the pitch most of the time.
0: Yeah. And that's why, that's why we wanted to get you on because I think, you know, we, we can all have our private thoughts about the pay-to-play system in the US and the, coach, the college system and et cetera, et cetera, and how we grow the game here, there, and everywhere in terms of players and fans and whatever, but there's got to be an organic growth at the grassroots, right, of just what do you do on a Tuesday night? I go and play soccer. That's just got to be a normal thing, just like going down the park and catching some hoops with your friends. It's just got to be the same as that for natives as well as expats.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I'm sure you guys see it where, where you are. And, and any market I've ever been in any city and town I've been in across the country is, is exactly the same thing that America, the beauty of America is so diverse, that on any given night, you go out to one of our programs, and you've got people from Asia, Africa, Europe, South America, not obviously, obviously, North America, and it, it's all kind of blended into one. And it's it's really beautiful. And it's a fantastic thing. And I think yep. that the accessibility, especially for for adults as well, but kids, uh, absolutely should be no barrier to entry to get out there and play football. And uh, as you know, and you just said, the pay to play model is it makes it difficult. But also, we want to make sure that as People are finishing playing soccer. We get a lot of people that maybe go away and play collegiately or some people have never even kicked a ball before. So that barrier to entry is just like, hey, this is really low. You can come and get involved in this. You don't have to break the bank. It's nothing like no massive commitment. It's casual, but also it's well-organized enough that it's not just, you know, a, a bit chaotic and a bit of a dick around in the park.
0: <laughs> so, well, that's the – what is the setup? Like, if I was going to – wanted to set one up here in Chicago um, – what's the what, what what do i get for my investment as a as an organizer rather than as a player
2: yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think most of our organisers now were players. And it's just kind of the question that you just asked. It's been, It's never been anything that's been forced by us where we've sort of got a map on the wall and we're saying, oh, well, we need to go to this town and this town. It's never happened that way. It's been maybe someone's moved away from a market that they played in, let's say like Houston. This just happened this week. A guy we knew in Houston messaged and said, hey, I'm moving over to Dallas for work. What have you got going on there? So look, hey, here's our league. Go jump in there. So it's like turnkey. But on the organizing side, we've had people move away and say, look, I've just left Phoenix. I've taken a job in Seattle. What can I, How can I get involved and set this up? So we do, uh, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that most people playing football probably, like you don't want to think about. That's why you pay, right? But it's it's administrative stuff. So insurance, marketing, equipment, facility agreements which you know we have with some some different facility types across the country from places that we actually manage the facility but also places that we just have long term agreements with like universities and and different school systems where we have long-term deals in place so we provide that for anyone that's looking to set up a program and actually kick off a small goal soccer league in their town just infrastructure and also I know this sounds a little cliche but cultural um, sort of support that we give the idea of this is the voice and this is what we want it to look like we want inclusion not just popping nets up and hoping for the best like there needs to be a good system of greeting people making people feel welcome um, but also making sure that the products on the pitch is good so that people do want to come and play and enjoy themselves so that's that's kind of what we'll do with an organizer if someone does say hey look this is this is something I want to get involved in and we make sure that it's not cost prohibitive. This isn't something that it's a McDonald's franchise. You know, it's like, hey, you got to give us 200 grand to get this off the ground. We want this to be something that anyone that's passionate about football anybody that wants to kick this off can do this and we work together with everybody everything everyone in our group and top down for me very transparent it's something that we all believe in because the project's about everybody it's not just about you know one or two people that are, you know sat just like on their hands doing nothing I'm very hands on and so is everyone in our group so really it's uh, a matter of the per- it's, it's the person over being priced out or like not being able to engage with us because you know they look at a price Point in it's not something that they can do but also like um, a cultural and a, just a passion buy-in that most people they, they, there's not a ton of money in this kind of thing until there's some money in it right I mean it's not a, a massive margin game it's it's getting players out there and people enjoying it and then if you do all the right stuff then all of a sudden you're making a few dollars from it but it's something that you need to be doing it for the right reasons initially like because some people will see some of our leagues and for example like we've got league in houston well there's 60 teams a night out there playing you know and and phoenix there's 60 to 80 teams a night playing well people can do maths and and figure that out and they see that and they think oh this is great i'll just do this i'll pop goals up and see what happens and if it, it inevitably it always fails because you're missing all the the magic stuff the stuff that happens off the pitch and actually showing up and giving a shit really is is the most important thing
1: go on john Mm-hmm. Sorry, I sorry. I've been just listening. I love listening to you guys talk. The um, the uh, I, I think about this. Of course, I always take people telling their stories like this, and I think, well, how do we apply that type of thing in our community? Mm. And I think you hit it on the head, Adam. The same reason we have a soccer club here is for, it, we're we're doing it for what's outside the pitch as much as what's on it, and it's all about. Well, Doing it for the right reason so i i'm right in line with you there but we've got a very strong um indoor league here in deKalb that mm-hmm. since they built the building in the late 90s friday night's men's league and it's it's you know they get i mean there's always so much space and time on a friday night but they they fill it up with 20 teams two sessions every winter mm-hmm. and and a lot of us, my indoor team has been playing for 17 years, and we've we started to build that like, you know, Twitter banter and hatred and all that stuff. A few of us, and uh, that's that's the fun stuff, actually. A lot better than feeling like shit on Saturday mornings. But, <laughs> um, but I think that's the thing where I've thought about it. I know I think Nick and I have talked about it. We've talked about it so much; it's hard to keep track. But I've I've seen little clips in whether it's in England or in bigger cities where somebody builds a small pitch, literally, you know, somebody donates and they build a little pitch at a park. And I dream of the day that kids in every neighborhood in our little town, Hey, the kids are out playing just like they go out and play basketball or used to, mm-hmm. um, they go out and kick a ball they play three V three or two V two or one V one. And just like, get that, like, get the kids to fall in love with the ball. Because that's right. where it starts, and I, I'm I'm curious. I just rambled for a few minutes to get that out, but I'm curious. And in you've got a on your website, you've got a, a 66 Chicago bullet point. Not a lot of info yet, and I understand it because it's COVID. But what does that look like? I'm a logistics guy. What does that look like? Do you play on grass? Do you play in parking lots? Do you rent space? Do you buy space? Do you you mentioned long-term agreements? Mm -hmm. like where do you where do you find space and how do you just coming from out of town how do you plop in and help somebody local start something like this because it seems like a logistical challenge to say the least
2: yeah so and this is a great question because we don't really want to go in anywhere where we can't add value right so if we go into a town and there's already like a a real vibrant soccer scene there's good leagues going on there's like because there's plenty of towns that that is the case we don't want to just go in there and be another league that is never the ammo because then it just more noise and maybe it takes away from an existing league that's doing a a good job and of course there's a bit of an element of that that's the nature of capitalism right the nature of having a a business but that's just not who we are personally we want to make sure that we can add enough value in any market that we're going into so chicago for example yeah i mean we'll, we'll partner with depending on the time of year obviously because of the weather's a big factor in chicago but we'll do street stuff right so we'll do we'll do street futsal we'll do um it will do indoor stuff in like futsal type stuff. We've got like university, we'll use the pitches. We've done beach soccer down on the lake before in Chicago. So we'll do like a bit of a combination of everything. Um, but generally, yeah, if you were looking, it can be a logistical headache because rocking up into a town, nearly every town that we've ever been to, there's a deficit of fields and space available because... More and more people want to play sports. The population's growing, especially in bigger cities. There's there's just lack of uh, available outlets for people to be able to play sports because usually, especially municipalities, it costs a lot of money to run a complex, right? And to build a new complex is multi-million dollar project. So generally it would have to be somewhere that's like a private place, or if you're looking to build your own place, which we have done, but we are now moving away from that simply because uh, the way you just described the indoor places is how, like we we see great indoor places, some really good ones that we've come across and people love it. It's a different style of soccer, but it also makes you less nimble if you are trying to own an indoor place because of your entry cost, right? You want to pop an indoor place up and build a nice indoor facility. You're probably going to brush up against a million dollars, right? With the construction, the land, everything else that's going into it, it's, it, can get, it can get really spendy. So we stopped doing that and stopped trying to put those kind of projects together because it limits you as far as your footprint goes like we might be in chicago well you've just built an indoor place now you're at that spot you can't address other parts of chicago as easily as if we say okay we want to be somewhere on the north side of chicago the like out in the suburbs we want to be like we want to start in the west with a small goal model you can do that you've just got to be able to go in and find the right partnerships at whichever facility type you're trying to run out so is it a street program where you know you get a permit from the city to allocate a certain space for futsal or a rooftop like we we have rooftop sessions in Boston with the YMCA the YMCA have got a great gym with futsal courts on the roof next to Fenway so we'll pop a league up there as well so it's getting creative but that's like kind of part of the adventure that I enjoy is like where where can we add value and make Make a space that football can be played in that is something that people want to do on a consistent basis, and they're okay paying a few dollars to do it as well.
1: Yeah, so then, it's, it's interesting. Oh. Oh, Joel, sorry. No, I, no, I think that's that's exactly right. You're you're being nimble and being able to serve your small. If your small goal, you're small sided. You want to be able to play in as many different parks or as many different parking lots or as many different places as possible, and you don't necessarily want one home and this is where we are and now we uh, from your perspective we no longer we now we're only serving that one location we want to be able to go start a league 20 minutes down the road
2: mm-hmm.
1: so people don't have to drive that 20 minutes the so people yeah, go that you, way can go that way and
2: you, you you got you got a lot of guys that will come in and and different players and they'll say yeah, I, I can't make it on a Wednesday, but I can play on a Thursday on the north side of town. So I'll sign up for that. Whereas if you're just one spot, one location, you, you handicap yourself immediately, because you are now unable to address a significant chunk of the market. Unless you've got deep pockets and you say, well, I've got an indoor place on the west side, the north side, but who's going to do that? I mean, because then you you run into eating up your own market, right? And and that can be a dangerous game as well. So it's it's a little bit tricky, but we found it's worked for us. We found kind of a nice sweet spot and a good balance of. Now we know where to look. We know how to, the language we need to use to strike up good long-term partnerships, talking two to five-year partnerships with different facilities and different municipalities. We even run, some municipalities soccer programs for them so they don't want to run their own program so for example like kirkland outside of seattle we run their soccer programs for them same in just a town just outside of denver colorado because they they don't want the overhead of having to hire a coordinator so they'll outsource the small goal soccer so that's also part of the business as well
0: cool it's crazy it's crazy that the tentacles that's come out of just you kicking a ball around right
2: just yeah no no 100% and I, I think about that nearly every day because it's like I'm having this conversation with you guys over this and we've we've talking with the amount of people that we've met through football from you know people that have played pro people that are doing like different stuff within the football world it's it's amazing that the doors that it's opened and I I, I say it to our guys all the time our staff I just say look we're, this is like still the first inning for a baseball reference that we're, we're still in the first inning of what we're doing we've been We've also operated through doing this. We've operated the, the U.S. national 6 v 16 in the last two years at the World Cup, which was in <laughs> Portugal and in Greece last year. We took, you know, we took a team of guys that represented this country, which was a phenomenal experience. Like I was like slapping myself on what was going on. This is the from a kid like, from
0: Stockport. Yeah
2: yeah well yeah and, and and I was just dicking around on, on a park in Phoenix just sort yeah. of like all right well I'm I'm a loose end there I don't really know what to do but this is and it just goes to show that you, if you do the good stuff I know it's like it's, it's a cliche again but it's if you do the good stuff and the right stuff for the right reasons all the rest of it follows and that I'm sure that goes you guys have seen that with your own experience with the club and it's, it's not the easiest way most of the time, and that's why people don't do it. Everyone wants to shortcut around, right? And, mm-hmm. and they don't want to put that work in because it's hard. It is really hard, but it's ultimately so much more rewarding.
0: Totally,
2: totally. So then what's the
0: – and I, I feel like I'm challenging you, and I'm really not. I'm just, I'm just trying to understand the business. What's the difference? What's the professionalism that you bring that John doesn't get from his rec league currently, would you say?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I can't – Without knowing what he does, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I can't speak to John's, John's place where he plays. He's played there for seventeen years. So like from a business standpoint, they're doing something right because that like in any business, if you've got someone that's a customer of yours, let's say your football club that you guys are a part of, if someone's part of anything for seventeen years and turns over money for something for seventeen years, whether it's AT and T or, you know, your, you guys' MPSO team or John playing indoor football, that means that the provider is doing an excellent job of whatever it is that they're selling or the value derived is worth the dollar exchange. So that is like speaks volumes to that they're doing a good job. Now, as far as my own organization is what I can speak to is that everybody that is going to represent our our Company, whether they are you know new to football or someone that's you know a diehard football player that plays all the time, if they want to get involved with what we're doing, I would say the one thing that is is really paramount to our success is making sure that when you go to an indoor place or there's been other leagues that I've seen, and I'm not trying to just throw shade at anyone, like everyone does their own things, it's it's all good. Everyone has their own way of doing stuff, but I've seen it, and it's the reason that people have transferred out of indoor or they've transferred a league to come and play with us. I've done it myself, I've played in a place and you show up, you don't know who to, who you're talking to, you don't know who the coordinator is it's kind of faceless, it's just more of a sterile play and go home environment and maybe there's a, a good amount of banter between like the players which John described, where the players and the teams have got that going on, and some leagues do do it, some leagues are good at it, but we want to make sure that we are the heartbeat of that, so that anytime I'm walking up to the pitch, oh yeah, there's Steve, I know he's the coordinator and I know he's a Man United fan, so I'm going to United lost this weekend, and just that that culture and that uh, that philosophy of look you 've got to love this game so much that it 's not a job now it 's just you talking about football to people. And someone leaves, and they think oh, that, that guy took their time out to come over to me and talk to me about, you know, the Tottenham match because he knows I'm a Spurs fan. Or, you know, how did you how did you get on last week? I know you you had a top of the league game in your mat, your six v six match, things like that. That personalised experience, because look, what we're doing is not rocket science. We're, we're uh, essentially we're putting football nets up and setting up a playing experience. What people are paying for is the entertainment, but also the stuff that is away from the actual kicking of the ball because anyone can do that. Anyone can go to the park, pop up nets and play. So the reason that it stands out is because everyone that's running one of our programs really gives a shit and I make sure of that. And if they don't, we'll get found out really quickly.
1: That's that's interesting stuff. Too. I mean, you you said everything right. The The park district that runs the league and the facility where we've been playing for as long as we have, the reason we come back is exactly what you said. It's organized. The games start on time. Uh, they don't tolerate uh, fighting and shenanigans like uh, maybe some others do. It's it's just organized, and we've gotten to that point where we banter. Um, everybody knows what team I play for. Everybody knows what team you might play for. Yeah. And and if and there's different divisions, and there's it's not formal pro rel or anything because teams and. You know, if you sign up, you sign up. If you don't, you don't. And right. but they certainly take results to move you up or move you down. And um and I'm kind of getting to be an old dog, and it's but it's fun. It's your Friday night out. And I, I think the thing that our community lacks is that happens for 20 weeks in the winter. Hmm. It's a wonderful weekly experience. And then there's seven months of this hole where we could absolutely fill it with something. And and to your point about building a complex and managing all that, I'm by no means an entrepreneur and I'm not probably that great with money, but the the, the money to be made in a complex is afterwards when they go in and have a pint.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, concession stand. And, and then that also adds to the off the field value you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm not gonna go play and then we, we go play at the park district now and then once in a while we go down, there's a bar down the street, you know, a few people will go and others will just go home to their families and stuff, which is fine. And, mm-hmm. um, it, but, it, but that's the environment, you know, you create that, that community, um, that hub where people can gather and even if they're not playing, even if it's the old guys going out to watch the, the, you know, U 19 six, that's exciting stuff. And if mm-hmm. I could go have a pint and stand by a fence and watch them play, That's, you know, that's interesting. So I think it'd be, I think that's where I'm thinking. I always think selfishly. That's why we do this podcast so I can learn stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and I think like, that's, that's exactly the place that we could grow the game is with, is with that seven months of, of outdoor time right now without (laughs) stepping on the toes of the park district.
2: I'm in, I'm really interested, and in, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole right now. But why don't the parks? Is, is the weather just no good, or like why why isn't there another program running? I mean, that's that's a massive amount of time. To, and you said it sounds like they've got it together. So why why isn't there a program in place? It's
1: a great question.
2: Huh. Yeah, curious.
0: Question. There you go, John. there's your homework. Come back next yeah. week, Adam. We'll have a and We'll have an answer for you. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Is it very simplistically, is it as easy as me contacting you through the website and saying, hey, I've got this, this, not even I've got this facility, but I've got a bunch of boys and girls, a bunch of of people that I want to set up in a formalized league. Can you help me out? Is it essentially that? And then the ball starts rolling from there.
2: Yeah, it's that it's that simple. And it's it's me. And our team of guys and girls, we've got an exact formula and program in place. You wouldn't even need to come to me and say, "Hey, I've got you know these eight groups of people, and they've got teams." That's nice. That's a bonus and a benefit. But we want to make this so turnkey for the individual that you come to me and you say, "Look, this this is a lack in in the market for those. There's not. There's so much demand, and there's not." enough supply of of good quality football leagues so we address can we can we look at the market what else is going on you've just addressed that there's a seven month gap where john's playing well immediately there's people playing football obviously so there's something there so what what can we do to make this so turnkey for the individual that it's like, yeah, we've got all of this in place already. Now we just need the person to be the boots on the ground. And, and I said it earlier show up and give a shit. Actually be there, be the face of the league, be the face of the organization. And then with our support and the logistical side of what we bring, it's uh, a successful operation.
0: I love it. I love the sound of it. And I think it's something that when we're talking to people who run clubs up and down the country, across the country, we're, we're always looking inward of like, what we can do to progress our name and our, I hate the phrase, but our, our brand, right? The UniTown FC, right? The, that's, everyone's trying to promote that. And without, organically, we're all growing the game, but no one's making a conscious effort to unite these things. And as soon as people like you are starting to say, it's more, it's not about the Saturday 3pm, it's about Tuesday night, it's about Wednesday night, it's about growing interest in the game, Aside away from the supporter culture, giving people an outlet yeah. and an, an understanding and a, a camaraderie and a community. We always come back on this show to community, right? And you and I know from our British roots that the soccer club can be and should be the hub of any community, right? When Stockport had all the troubles they were going through, you were pulling in three, four, five thousand people for seventh mm-hmm. tier soccer because people cared
2: yeah i was just going to say yeah you're, you're absolutely right and and this is uh, a puppy in this country so to speak but what's special is that each one of these communities and the community that you guys are representing you you have that everyone has that but the unification of it is is a different beast compared to what you and i grew up with and spent mm-hmm. our times being part of those clubs were there for 100 years before i showed up so there's the history the lineage now that doesn't mean that there's that's not going to happen here it's just it's still an it's an infant stage right this is we're not even uh, we're not even getting rolling yet and this like that's the exciting part of it that yeah. there are people so many people that you speak to that i speak to that are, are wanting the same things and doing it for the right reasons that are working on this like great american soccer project right and it's, it's amazing to see
0: that's, that's a great way of terming it yeah absolutely listen adam this has been great um i'm going to call end to this here unless you've got anything well even if you have got anything more to say we're going to come back in a couple of minutes and we're going to talk about your, the other hat that you wear which is um your soccer cultural blog and pod and whatever
1: <whistles> all right we're
0: live well Welcome this, is back. So much, this is my going so much more smoother than the last time we did this Thank you for that. Is there anything else you want to say? We can, I'll give you a chance to plug the website and everything else at the end, but is there anything else you want to say particularly about Small Goal before we move on?
2: No, just uh, if anyone's interested, as I said, it's a, we're an open book. You shoot me an email and we can drop that at the end of the show. But yes, yeah, if anyone has any questions or is looking to get involved, we want to be the unification force of uh, people <laughs> just jo- jo- joining and, and creating and being part of a interlinked network of football players and, and fans across the country
0: yeah i think it's it's a, it's a noble obsession and i think it's one that this country needs right we we've come from a culture of that unified five a side soccer experience mm-hmm. that um that this country well i'm not going to say we know better because we don't clearly mm-hmm. but this country needs something to push it away from college and school and high school soccer to make it a, gr- a thing for grown ups to do but anyway that's for a different yeah, conversation yeah. all right so adam um when you're not working small goal soccer it seems to me that you have another soccer obsession um that fills your evenings would that be fair
2: yeah yeah for sure we've we've, we've got a few but this is uh this is one of the the main projects at the moment yeah
0: yeah okay so um for those who don't know you your side project is a blog podcast whatever you want to call it multimedia empire called a healthy obsession fair
2: yeah, uh, uh, multimedia empire makes me, it all seem a bit Rupert, Rupert Murdoch evil esque. But yeah, I like it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, that's, I'll be honest. That's how I came up, up across you. Um, I love what you're putting out there. Um, it's certainly not directly aligned with what we're talking about in Build It in terms of building community soccer clubs. But I think your your interest in your um, take on soccer culture across the world. With you know an outsider's view of the UK of the US is interesting, and I'm not going to say challenging, but it's um, I think it should be more more widely known about your podcast for sure. Some of the guests you've managed to pull in, I'm super impressed with. Not Steve Bailey. Steve Bailey's you know he's a he's a different fish, but other people have been very high ranking. I'm only joking,
1: Steve, if you're listening. You're, um, Nick, so you yeah. have to you have to quali- Yeah, I was going to say you have to qualify that you were only joking about Steve because he is our buddy. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's one of the good ones.
0: Um, so yeah, Adam, tell me how that came about—the the healthy obsession blog.
2: Yeah, so this is just something that started off as well. I mean, it still is. It's a it's a passion project. It's it's something that we had talked about doing for a long time because because of the member base we've got. Right, we've got a a, a relatively large, uh, well, a, a decent sized member base of players, and some give a shit about soccer culture, and others like to show up and put the boots on play and go home so it's a bit of a mixed bag but this started off with something that like like a lot of people seem to have done it started off just as as a blog on the site and uh, I personally am just fascinated by the stories that unfold from the football world. So there's sort of untold stuff that again, it's just, it's kind of interesting to me. So the, the music, the fashion, the art, the the politics that go alongside football. And a lot of the time those stories are untold. I think more so now they are getting a bit more of a light shone on them just because there are more people with a voice and more people looking to be uh, interested and involved in that kind of stuff and also the market doesn't lie right if there's not an audience for something there's not an audience for something so this has been something that for me, I, I didn't really care so much about, and I still don't particularly care so much about the ends. There's no like, oh, this is what I want this to be. Like, that can be good and bad, but there's not like any like grand master plan for this. This is just, look, I, I enjoy talking to different people. And I, I looked at my, my, <laughs> this is sounds, this is going to make me sound old, but I looked at my Rolodex of contacts that I've got within soccer. And it, it, we had, we had some great people. I just sent a few texts like, hey, you want to talk about football for a bit? Yeah, you're doing some cool. Stuff do you want to talk about football? Yeah, cool. Why not? So Kyle and Martino is a buddy, and uh, you know I text him, and I was like, hey, he was the first guest. I like you want to you want to talk about you know street, they're doing Street FC and some other stuff that he had going on. He, he ran for. Uh, u.s soccer president a year or two maybe two years ago so you know i just i went through the rolodex and i'm like who can we get on and who would be interested that's doing some cool stuff in football and then it just snowballed a bit from there and i I think that whatever happens next with it it's fun it's something i just love doing it's something i enjoy and that's kind of the uh the manifesto of whatever i'm going to get involved in i want to do this enjoyable ideally around sports and football because that's really what i care about and i'm passionate about and as I said earlier in the call, the the rest sort of follows after that, right? And that's not that I'm, like, passive about it or I don't, I don't particularly care about what happens. It's just if I think too much about, you know, some, like, grand scheme for a healthy obsession, it's like, well, that's too much. Right now, just enjoy it and, and see what happens, see what unfolds. And it's been amazing so far just from conversations that I've had and people that I've met that they're working on things in football that sometimes it's like mind blowing. Like people are working on different stuff that, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's just interesting to me. So that's kind of how we kicked it all off and it's, it's been well received so far and it's been something for our members. Like it's, we, we all know, like you guys doing a podcast, content is king and, and everyone wants to put, Uh, contact out for people to listen to and keep people within their ecosystem but I I think that that was something that we had talked about doing it for ages and it's just as you guys know it's it is more time consuming than people think right Mm -hmm. I mean you're sure you guys have found that it can be even if you're not editing or it it can be the podcast part of it can be relatively uh, time consuming so (laughs) you know I didn't have as much time before but this year you know I made time for it and there's always time for the stuff that matters I think
0: yeah and if you enjoy it then it's it's not an it's not a ball like eh? is it if you you know if you have to give up netflix for it or something it's, we all enjoy it um I, yeah and i love the fact that it's sort of it's speaking to that sort of Mundial um in bed with Mar- maradona all that sort of those british blogs of yesteryear when football mm. blogging was a thing it's it's talking about the culture and it's talking about stuff that isn't tactics Right, well, you're not talking to Jonathan Wilson or Michael Cox about whether a three-five-two is better than a four-four-two. It's just, right, right. yeah, it's still about why why is this tracksuit cool or why you know there's a what, magazines and just it's everything that in the UK I guess again growing up we sort of took for granted right the, whether it was shoot or kick or kickoff or match of the day or whatever the the influence was it was just there and it was just and then when you come to a different culture you're like oh hang on. We were lucky to have that, and we need to – it's not that we need to, because, again, we're not doing it right, but we're looking – as expats, we're looking to recreate something that has a familiar taste of home. So, um, yeah, I, ab- I absolutely love the stuff you're putting out. What is your – how do, healthy do you feel soccer – how long have you been in the U.S.? Approximately.
2: Not like um, this, this, this next year, 21, will be 15 years.
0: Oh, wow, okay, sweet. So you've seen a fair growth of the interest in soccer, right, the, the highs and the lows.
2: Do you think U.S. Mm. soccer is in a good place right now? Yeah, it's it's a tough question, isn't it? Because it's definitely been a few turbulent, turbulent years. Um, I think the national team is exciting, but just because of the prospects that are in the team right now, I think that everyone can get behind that. And it looks like you know, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty six World Cups will be exciting because I think that. I think the team from a management perspective have done well to organize and kind of reboot, trim some of the fat and and maybe get rid of some of the guys that were the stalwarts of the team for a long time. From a governance standpoint, I think US soccer has got a long way to go. And I I don't know how, how, how that gets fixed because you mentioned it earlier that there's whether well, it's domestic league issues with no promotion or relegation and no real incentive for teams down the ladder to be able to say you know hey we're going up we're getting relegated or there's not that piece which is an intrinsic part around the world of football it's it's so important and i think missing that but i mean we don't see that changing right i mean uh, there's no incentive really for u.s soccer to change any of that right now because everything's quite disjointed mls and some have got a a grip uh mafia style grip on the soccer market that they're not going to relinquish any of that either so i think at large i have seen it grow pretty significantly the last 15 years while i've been here because the mls is major league soccer has definitely improved i think over the last specifically the last decade i, I gotta admit i didn't watch it when i first moved there and i found myself watching it now you know I, I i do tune in and i do watch games now namely because i never really had a team to follow so that makes it a little harder as well when you've not really got a team that you care for or you're following but it's always like it's always bugged me that a team has a shit season finishes last <laughs> and you know nothing really comes of it it's just all right well you just had a bad season now you go yeah. again next season Crack i never really much. liked that and... yeah there's no Sorry? penalty
0: to it at all is there no um do you, you have any dealings no. with phoenix rising at all or no and um, that's not a loaded question
2: yeah no yeah yeah We've, we we work with rising on all kinds of different stuff. right stuff so we do we, we have a charity we have a charity arm of, of our company which is called change of stars which you know we work with rising and we work with all the different businesses and corporations locally as well but um yeah we, we work with rising we work with uh, houston dynamo pretty much any market we're in where there's a team we work with the team yeah all right sweet so go
0: sorry i got i got sidetracked from um healthy obsession do you think that <laughs> <laughs> do you think that there is a culture a, a a U.S. soccer culture outside of soccer, if you know what I mean, in the same way that and I don't want to glamorize, you know, the hooligan aspect of it. And that's not what I'm talking about. But that is certainly a thing that is aside from soccer or the, the fashion side of things or whatever it is in Europe. Do you think that can exist in the U.S.? like is it possible to yeah, do i think it's things? i think it's
2: already happening and i think one of the one of the exciting parts of it is that um the u.s is is more of a blank canvas i think that that's really to me anyway personally i like that i think this is an opportunity for everyone to set their own tone at their own club whatever that might be so for example here in phoenix the phoenix rising i've got uh bandidos and it's very much a south american feel to it drums and dancing and like it's but but these guys are into it right they take it seriously they they've got the they've got all the looks you know with the trainers and and the chants and all the rest of it so i think that's happening but i still think it's it's early days and i think that most people though that get involved with uh, the support of culture here I, I think that they're in it for the right reasons everyone that i've met anyway right like you, they, they want to be in it because they enjoy the camaraderie they enjoy the songs the tifos the like they, they want that because they've mm-hmm. yeah they've seen it elsewhere and i get what you're saying like yeah, sometimes it's like it is like oh well we're copying European teams or we're copying South American teams or whatever it might be. But then I have seen like LAFC. I went to one of their games. They're putting their own flavor on things. Totally. And I've seen a lot of teams that you you got to take a, a take take the wheel but put you know some new new tires on it and make it spin in a different <laughs> way so that it's 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 your own it's your own style instead of just like copying everything word for word. Which I think when I first moved there I, I you know I seen some pretty cringeworthy stuff. But I think we moved away from that now. I think it's evolving and i think that people that are getting involved are enjoying the subcultural kind of hipster aspect of being involved in football and soccer supporter culture in this country definitely
0: i see that too it's it certainly it seems to me as well it's generational right um mm-hmm. that the older population is still sort of a little bit skeptical of soccer but certainly you are 30 and downwards i don't know how old you are and john no offense i'm 46 right so i'm out of that demographic altogether but 35 down i think um they get it. They're on board with it. Whether they like soccer or not, they understand the, the, the support culture that doesn't exist. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't exist with any other sport in this country as far as I can work out, right? It's, it's, more, it's far more territorial and far more community-driven, I guess, isn't it? Like, whether it's an LA derby, whether it's a New York derby, or whether it's Houston versus, I don't know, Dallas, it really doesn't matter, right? It's the fact that they care, there's more bragging rights associated with a victory than there are in an ice hockey game, I feel, I don't know, I could be misreading the the situation, but that's my take on it.
2: Yeah, I think so. I I think just uh, American sports are just uh, completely different culturally, but I've been to uh, an Oakland Raiders game when they were before they moved to Vegas. And I mean, that, that's, uh, an a anim- different animal but it's, it's very similar to the passion and the, uh, I've been to a Packers game same thing a Boston Red Sox game pretty wild you know it's mm-hmm. just it's just completely different to not nothing matches football f- supporters for intensity passion and because I think because of the stories that are told that, that the clubs tell right and they they've got a lot of secrets and stories from 100 plus years of existence that you know a lot of american sports teams maybe don't have but there are some that definitely have that that little bit of extra kick but yeah i agree with you it's probably not it's not in mass no
0: absolutely but i do love the fact it's just soccer here is way more inclusive i find right um whether it's just on a gender basis or whether it's across the cultural divides i just soccer back home is white and male still Mm. right here it certainly isn't right it's just it and i think that's that's where america succeeds is when it with its inclusivity right if it stops trying to I know this isn't a lecture but to me if it stops trying to be uh, to ape the south american culture or the european culture and and creates the american culture with its melting pot with its all these different influences that nowhere else on earth can boast of whether it's honduran or whether it's korean right there's no other country in the world that can have those two fans standing next to each other let alone playing so god bless you america you're going to get it right eventually
1: when you do you're going to take over the world because frankly no one's brazil hasn't you, got hope what do you What do you guys think? of? I'm curious. um, Obviously, there's a a number of smaller clubs like us, a lot of non-league or semi-pro or elite amateur or whatever you want to call it. But certainly in the last 10 years, especially the last 10 years, there's been hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of clubs just pop up like us, like DeKalb County. Mm -hmm. And I think my story to people is that I know you might not all understand what we are and what level we are. And quite frankly, neither the hell do we, but we're setting the, we're setting the foundation. I believe all of us are setting the foundation for a hundred years from now that there will, some of us will be here a hundred years from now, Hmm. I hope. And I, and I, I'm curious, like 10 years ago, there were very few, and maybe I just didn't know about it, but there was no UPSL, NPSL, regional leagues. There there were probably a few scattered in certain pockets of the country. But I think we're building a foundation and part of our part of our conversations on this podcast and, and some of the conversations we have off the podcast are to help other clubs be around for the long term and, and so that the foundation gets stronger and stronger. And I'm curious if you guys think that I'm right, wrong, or you don't know, or if there's any, you know, all the, all the English clubs that have been around for 120 years, we, none of us were here when they started, but I, I think we're actually far ahead of where they were. You know, I think we're far ahead of where um, what was Manchester United was uh, an ironworks company, right? Is that right? Newton Heath.
2: Yeah.
1: So that was somebody putting 11 guys out on a pitch probably in their third year. He'd pay for the uniforms and pay whatever mm-hmm. I, we're, we're doing marketing. We're doing podcasts. We're doing all these things. And I think, I think it's pretty interesting just how quickly we're going. You know what I mean? And maybe it's the technology in the world, but I think we're all of us together are really putting the U S in a position where if the government can get us, not the government, the governing body can get <laughs> us um, aligned in some sort of organization, but I think, like you said, Nick, I think I think we'll be a freight train of competitiveness.
2: I think that – you know, I, I had a conversation yesterday, a very interesting conversation with Dennis Crowley. He's the uh, the founder at um, Kingston I Stockhead. Paid. Yeah, yeah. So, so he said some really interesting things because his whole idea was around what you guys have mentioned there about community and, and having a team that are in these sort of like <laughs> – not to like make them seem so small, but like more micro markets compared to maybe an MLS market. So you get all these cool teams popping up that, yeah, they're in Kingston, New York, but they're not in New York city, but they're still averaging, you know, a thousand people going to these games because the people don't really give a shit if it's New York Red Bulls, but they care because it's their neighborhood team or like a local team. So I think playing on that, I think is the really interesting story that you're going to see unfold over probably the next sort of 10, 20 years, you mentioned Steve earlier, like non-League America cover, covering that kind of stuff. Like, I think that that's the, to me is the interesting part of the American soccer story. Like, well, how does that unfold? But also how are these clubs remaining financially viable so they don't die because get getting through that, like, unless you've got a, a very generous benefactor, it can get tricky, right? Because it's not cheap to run some of these clubs. And uh, I think that, uh, if you can find a way to keep it financially viable and yeah, your, your people that are running the club are in it for the right reasons. There's no reason you can't be around for a hundred years and who knows what the, the league looks like then? Who knows what it looks like in 10 years? We could be talking about NPSL and USL merging or what, NISA or whoever it is. And all of a sudden there's a five tier structure away from major league soccer that is, you know, you're able to get promotional relegation. ESPN has the rights. So there's money at stake so that teams can now, they have different revenue streams. I think all of that is possible. It's just how many clubs can actually ride the wave and survive without having that like television money or whatever the next part of this looks like. I think that's what we're trying to tell our
1: story. We're trying to tell our story of what we've done, where we've been in the black every year, building up a nest egg of money and resources so that oh my gosh a pandemic hit well we either shut down and can't play now mm-hmm. we we didn't play because of safety but now now clubs like us need to look at can we play next year with, with the un, with the unknowns or do we need to set out another year
2: right and
1: what does that look like so you're right the financial it always to me it always goes back to money and logistics and the financial piece of it as we've we've been echoing over and over for the last few podcast is is the community will guide us and if we can get them behind us we can be around for a thousand years but if we yeah. fail to connect because we're in it for our own selfish reasons or self interest and we don't connect with the supporters and the people and the businesses then we won't be here it'll be a three to five year project and we'll be gone
2: yeah no, no doubt and and having having that truth right the truth of the what the club is and doing it so it's not just a PR thing of like, hey, we're doing this because it's a community thing, or hey, it's a cool thing, or it's like, nah, like I actually showing up and and caring about your supporters and conversating and having the having that dialogue of it being a bit more of an open book. Those are the clubs that are doing well right now. Obviously, like, like you guys know more than I do about what how the MPSL teams are operating anyway, but like I, I know for a fact we we've had teams in Phoenix like they, they showed up in MPSL uh, and uh, it was no buying from anybody because the first thing that the owner said was yeah we're going to be doing buying this player and we're going to be going here and playing in this league i'm like why are you even talking about that don't don't talk about that now talk about like this season we've got like 11 local guys this is why you should support us this is a community project and get involved go and get your hands dirty being in the community and instead it was like yeah we're going to sign wayne rooney and be in in major league soccer in five years like all right mate like that's that's not going to happen so yeah it sounds like you guys are uh, are doing all the good stuff and uh, like it's not uh it's not an easy project I'm sure it's a lot of moving pieces but it's if it's something you really care about then then you're going to win
0: I don't I don't think you're the person to answer this Adam but I'm going to ask you anyway how does U.S. soccer move to the next level whatever that level looks like
2: uh, are you talking about the domestic league yeah, or yeah the, no, the no, I the don't nationals. care about
0: the international international tech they're not going to listen to me bizarrely
2: <laughs> yeah I, I think uh, now are you're talking about like the highest level, like major league soccer are you're talking about the lower league stuff? or how how do we
0: ensure that ninety five percent of clubs that established in the last five years are still here in five years' time?
2: I think it's something that goes alongside, forgive me, I forget who said it earlier in the call, but I think that the consultation between ownership groups and actual support system so that there is financial viability and ideas that are shared to keep the clubs ticking over is that, that, that network is going to be very, very important because you've got some really smart people running some of these teams and people that have been successful away from football that have come in and they now they're doing this because they love football or, you know, whatever reason they're involved. So I think leveraging that, and making sure that those voices are heard, making sure that fans' voices are heard and making sure that it's uh, an experience that young people, they go and they think, oh, this is amazing. The player signed my shirt. I want to like grow up and play for this team or this is my town's team and I- I'm passionate about it for whatever reason. So I think that that's how it stays uh, a steady growth that the right people are networking and making sure that, the right stuff is happening at this level now that the foundation's so strong and the fundamentals of all of these clubs are so strong so that it grows into a a big, strong organization that can be around. And I'm not saying it will rival the higher divisions because USL, Major League Soccer, they've got big money, right? There's there's big money in those leagues, but there's no reason that NPSL and NISA – don't sit down in five years or whenever and shake hands and say, cool, we can make this work. We can make this go. But I think in the meantime, it's having really open forum for communication instead of it being standoff and like, oh, well, you know, this is this is our club. We don't need anything from you. We don't want to talk. We don't want to share. It's like a rivalry thing versus... Hey, this is open source information right now. What's your club doing that's getting a 1,000 people versus a club that's struggling to get a couple of hundred people in the ground? Yeah. Like what what are they doing? Like you mentioned marketing, podcasts, What what is it and how to share that information so that it becomes a little bit, not easier, but it becomes a little bit more of a uh, – Uh, a smooth road instead of everyone banging their heads against the wall like oh well why why isn't this blowing up why hasn't this done got met my expectations yeah but instead it's it's something that there's a bit more of a collaborative feel to it instead of the individual saying well we're doing it our way and screw the rest
0: stronger together
2: exactly there you go
0: and how does small goal fit into that if at all
2: yeah, I think I think we address the the other side of things. It's it's one big soccer, uh, one big soccer organization at large. Maybe the pro side, the semi pro side, but it's all uh, intrinsically linked, right? Because we've got guys that they've come and played in our leagues and our programs. They've left and they've gone to play semi pro or pro. They've played NPSL. Some have gone to play in the USL. Um, you know, we've got former MLS players that play in small goal soccer across the country, right? So I think our part of that is it, it's all one part of the same thing. It's just not it's not isolating them and making it seem like it's grassroots is one thing, youth soccer is one thing, semi pros one thing. It's all part of the same the same organization of u.s soccer u.s soccer don't see it that way they don't organize it that way but i think small goal is is going to be there as a resource as an outlet to introduce new people to the game that maybe they come and kick a ball and play small goal and then they say i I actually love soccer oh there's a MPSL team down the road there's a game on saturday because we have a partnership cool here's a free ticket go check this team out Go go and see if you like it. And now there's a fan there, so this is all interconnected. And I think that that's where our part of it will be, that our contribution, and then also making sure that whatever we're doing and whatever projects we're adding on, it is something that it's if it is our own involvement in a team, if it is our like our piece of the youth soccer game where we're providing community efforts instead of you know like expensive club type stuff which we do we do like kids programs where it's free you know and kids can come, just come and play and enjoy themselves kind of the way you described like drop-in style so that's why i see our contribution being and that's also very fluid as well that that can change at any moment so there's one thing i've learned like nothing's <laughs> that you think you think something's one way and it never is it always goes the other way which is kind of the excitement but also you know makes it unpredictable sometimes but that's you know that's why you've got to be nimble and be able to stick and move
0: Mm-hmm. what does the future hold for for adam farewell the entrepreneur
2: adam farewell the entrepreneur i think you know we've we've got a couple of different projects in the works that i, I can't speak on just yet but we've got some stuff that uh, is a little bit more along the tech lines um it's still associated with sports so that's the next piece of, of some of the stuff that i'm going to be doing and that's um it's a different animal for me, uh, being 100% honest. It's, it's new. It's fundraising uh, from like an investment level. And it's a little bit of a different castle of fish for me because it's always been a bit more of like hustle and flow (laughs) style (laughs) for for me personally that's that's the way that i've done things so this is this is a new part and a new chapter for me as well but i'm excited about it so we're working on that on the on the tech side of things uh for small goal it's um making sure that everything runs well coming out of covid obviously it's disrupted a ton of stuff that we do fortunately we've you know, being able to, we have been able to function in some capacity this year, but getting back to things next year or whenever that might be in, in a safe way and making sure that we are um, adding on so that our programs are growing and if more people want to play soccer, that we are meeting that demand as well. Um, yeah, and we've also got some stuff for a healthy obsession plan too. So you know, just adding on, adding on, and keeping the show rolling and making sure that you know we we keep improving that as well. So it's not, it's it's not that it's not underproduced right now but you know you, you start taking it maybe a bit more seriously of, of whether it's production or whatever it might be and mm-hmm. you know that's that's something that i've got my eye on as well but this is kind of this year is kind of the acid test of look do people want it and if people want it great we double down and we we keep going to where can we improve it
0: yeah, well I mean just on a personal level I love what you're doing with um, with the healthy obsession I think it's a fantastic product that you're putting out there so congratulations on that not that my opinion means anything but you know who what you want to hear it at least right um, have you got before we wrap things up have you got any questions for either myself or John
2: you... no I don't think so I, I think I, the one thing that I was looking at was was the club and and I was curious I did I couldn't find the information on is the club? is the club you guys are involved in is it supporter owned or is it uh, like is there a group of guys that founded it and started it
1: um well it's it's sort of a gray area we're a non-profit so we're just we're run by um, a board and and volunteers so there's no owner and with a with the business entity of a non-profit technically there is no owner um mm. to your point we um, just last Friday, we hosted a roundtable with some of our more uh, active supporters and vocal supporters to sort of re-engage them. As we've had a year off, you know, like, hey, we want we want you as a as a group of supporters to be involved with what we're doing, have a close contact with us to to create that um, that transparency that you talked about, and. Um, it's it's a membership system at this point, you know, and we're, I always get, personally, I get confused with ownership when there's no tangible ownership. You know, <laughs> you can call it fan owned, but if it's just an annual membership, right? call it what it is. It's a membership with voting rights. That's mm-hmm. kind of what we do. Um, so, you know, there's no owner, there's no group of people that threw a bunch of money in to start it. Um, we, we've talked about it on the podcast a little bit. We, we raised the money organically by buying scarves and selling them for a profit. And then we mm-hmm. reinvested that and bought t-shirts and we sold t-shirts and
2: nice.
1: we chipped away at it until we had the money to go. And we, uh, we certainly put the, the onus on the community that if you, if you support it, we'll be here. And if you don't want to support it, cause this isn't what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. then that's the customer telling you that they're not interested in buying your product. And we, we will find something else to do. Maybe we'll do podcasts full time. I don't know. But um, so we, we just kind of put it on the supporters to be, to be involved. Uh, And, and we, that's something we always can improve on. You can always find better ways to connect um, better ways to engage better ways to draw their, let them be a part of it. So that's kind of how we operate. I know that didn't really answer your question.
2: No, it, it does. What would you encourage, like for example, if someone was listening and I, I know I've like, there's been other people talk about this type of thing as well, but would you encourage other groups, maybe in whatever market they're in to start an NPSL team? Do you think it's something that it's more, more teams, the better for the organization at large?
1: Yeah, we, we play in the Midwest premier league. We okay. were in the UPSL for a couple of years and okay. then we, decided that was too big geographically it did we liked the control of being able to deal with the midwest so that's a that's a project we were involved with starting i guess i i shouldn't say we everybody else just went along for the ride on that one Hmm. um i think the more clubs the better nick and i both agree um i i I think every community should have a a a team a club Hmm. um I, I maybe it dilutes the product on the field, but I don't think that's a sacrifice. I think that's a long-term gain. Mm. Um, I think there's room. I think there's room in the. There isn't a pyramid, but there's room in the pyramid. Um, you know, I, I'm focused on. From selfish, for selfish reasons, I want to saturate Northern Illinois with clubs. Mm. I want you know I want competition real close by. Save travel costs, build rivalries. Um, away fans travel better to a game forty minutes away than they do four hours away. Um, and I think that's, I think by helping other clubs start, yeah, absolutely, start a start a club. I'm all about it, but don't, don't just wing it. You know, mm-hmm. if you're gonna do it, at a, there's, a, there's a there's a unofficial line of I'm gonna have a team or I'm going to have a club and I'm going to build a culture around the club. A team is a team. That's a group of players. Yeah. The club is, the club is everything around the team mm-hmm. and what, and what that group of players and, and that group of people stands for. So the players I don't know how, how to right? that. The culture exists. The culture continues after
0: the players yeah. have retired or moved away. The club is still there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just on that point, Adam, as well, if you were of a mindset to add another string to your bow, we do have a club startup packet at a very reasonable price that um, mm. you know, contains a myriad of information about how to do that very same thing. So we are all about people starting up clubs and whatever. We would love there to be, We are the is 70 odd miles away from Chicago. We'd love there to be 50, 60 clubs between here and there, right? Of um, varying levels. You know what it's like in Manchester. Stockport might be in the shadow of United and City, but they also could power over Daisy Hill and Cheadle Town, right? So it's –
1: yeah.
0: There's a, there's, a, there's a place for everyone.
1: Sometimes I think he, you guys just make clubs up. I think they're – you <laughs> guys just pull names out of your hat and pretend it's a club over there, and I don't mm. – I'm not going to Google it and check you, so I just take your word for it.
0: Yeah. That's funny. They're all – I only know Cheadle Town because I've been listening <laughs> – Daisy Hill because I've been listening to – um the Berry FC podcast from the BBC, which everyone who doesn't know about it should be listening to because it's a fantastic story and I've been sharing it with you, John, but that's for another time. Um, sweet. Anybody got
1: any more for any more before we wrap things up?
2: No, nah, no, nah, it's been, been great fellas. been good. Lovely.
1: Adam, it's like, Adam, yeah. I'm going to just jump in and tell you that I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to you when we're done and chat a little bit. Um, maybe not today or tomorrow, but yeah. Uh Oh, sorry, Nick, but I want to, I want to chat a little bit more and, um, might be able to do something yeah,
0: yeah I, knew that, I knew
1: that was coming I just that's so predictable hall
0: <laughs> um sweet adam where can people get hold of you either privately or professionally
2: yeah so the websites smallgoalsoccer.com and a healthy obsession.soccer for the the things that we've discussed today um and anyone can feel free to shoot me an email adam at smallgoalsoccer.com i'm uh, a relatively open book. I'm on Twitter at Adam Falwell and Instagram at Adam Falwell as well. You shoot me a DM. I'm always open to chat, football, business, whatever you want to talk about. So
0: Fantastic. Adam, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, I hope Adam. to catch up with you again and best luck with everything you're planning.
2: All right, sounds good. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. Cheers. that next time we'll have ourselves a laugh